Shall we pray, Lord? We thank you for another opportunity to come together and share your word. We pray that you will be glorified, your people blessed. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide all that's done, all that's said, all that's thought during these preaching moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? I want to preach today from the subject, walking with Jesus, moving forward in the process. Walking with Jesus, moving forward in the process. On last Sunday, we preached from the subject, walking with Jesus, the best steps we'll ever take. That text came from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. In that text, we saw five things walking with Jesus produced in the lives of Cleopas and the other disciple traveling with him. Here's the list. Walking with Jesus produced learning. As they walked with Jesus, they learned. Walking with Jesus produced discerning. As they walked with him, he opened their eyes and they were able to see him and see him as he was. Walking with Jesus produced burning. And produced a burning in their hearts to tell others about, about Jesus. Walking with Jesus produced turning. They were heading away from Jerusalem on the Emmaus road. But after walking with Jesus, he turned their lives around. And then the next walking with Jesus produced a yearning. They had a desire to share Christ with the other disciples as well as everyone they met. They met. Now, every born-again believer in Jesus Christ who is walking in fellowship with him finds the same productions in his or her life as did Cleopas and the other disciples. What a grand and glorious occasion these followers of Jesus experienced as they met together in Jerusalem on that first resurrection morning. You remember the story. Cleopas and the other disciples went back, disciples went back to Jerusalem and where they met with the eleven and all the other followers of Jesus. And they had a great, a great time on that first resurrection morning. Jesus allowed them to celebrate, to slap back, to hand clap, to shout and testify to the good news that he was alive. But the culmination was not to be left in the celebration. Although there were appropriate, there was appropriate room for celebration, the mission did not stop there. The culmination, the ending of what was to come did not stop in that celebration. You see, the mission did not stop there. The process of the resurrection event must continue. For you see, while celebration is appropriate, we must be careful. That the celebration does not lure us into feelings of smug satisfaction with ourselves or our accomplishments. So here the followers, so here the followers of Jesus were celebrating the greatest victory of their lives. And Jesus appears and, and begins talking with them. Verses 36 through 39 states, now as they said these things. Talking about his resurrection, celebrating his resurrection. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. 
But they were terrified and frightened. And supposed that they said, had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, isn't it amazing that the followers of Jesus are enjoying this great celebration? But when Jesus, the one being celebrated, joined the celebration, every word used to identify his followers is negative. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 37. They were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. In verse 38, they are troubled and doubting in their heart. Now, from the party they were having, you, you would not know that they were dysfunctional. Or you wouldn't know that they, these followers of Jesus were as dysfunctional, dysfunctional as they were. That's because dysfunction has a way of hiding under the table of hype. And hiding under the table of jubilation, under the table of celebration. Jesus knew that terrified, frightened, and troubled disciples who were doubting him in their hearts could not capably carry out his mission, his message, his mandate. Therefore, Jesus begins moving his disciples forward in the process. The question is, how did he do it? How did he bring together a group of dysfunctional celebrants and mold them into a cohesive body who would eventually turn the world upside down? Well, the text reveals at least three moves Jesus made. First, Jesus moves his followers beyond the point of celebration to the place of realization. Let me say that again. Jesus moves his followers beyond the point of celebration to the place of realization. They're celebrating, but he wants to move them along in the process. Notice verse 39 where he says, Behold my hands and my feet, that is myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. The thrust of Jesus in verse 39 is helping his disciples come to grips with the truth of his bodily resurrection. But he does not stop there. For in verses 40 and 41, he showed them his hands and his feet. Yet they had joy and marvel, the scripture says, but still they did not believe. Did you get the point? They were, they were celebrating. They, they, they had joy even when he was talking to them. When they saw him, he marveled. But the text said they still did not believe. Here's a question. How many people have you known to high five, backslap, celebrate, and have a good time doing worship only to live defeated lives? And the least little thing upsets their spiritual equilibrium. During the worship celebration, they seem to have every T crossed and every I dotted. 
But when trials come, when conflicts mount, when uncertainty looms on the horizon, it sets them off. How many people do you know function, who function pretty well when things are normal? But when the normal is upstaged by the abnormal and new normal becomes the order of the day, their walls come tumbling down. So here's the gut check. Is that person you? Is that person me? Or is that person someone else? The truth is Jesus wanted the early church and he wants our church and he wants the church universal to have unshakable faith, unflinching confidence, unwavering commitment to him in sunshine and in rain, doing high tides and low tides, doing times of peace, and even doing times of pandemic. Certainly Jesus wants his church anchored in celebration, yet still deeper, Jesus wants his church anchored in the realization that he's alive. Not only in theory, but he's alive also in practice. He's alive, whether we worship him in the physical building, or whether we worship him online, or whether we worship him at home. He's alive whether uh, the stock market rises or falls. He's still alive. He's alive no matter which way the wind blows, the ball bounces, the chip falls, or the cookie crumbles. Jesus is alive. In the text, Jesus is moving his followers, his disciples, along in the process until they get the point. So far, they haven't gotten it. The light hadn't come on. They're still missing them all. So Jesus keeps on teaching. He says to them in verse 41b, have you any food here? Now watch carefully verses 42 and 43. So they give him a piece of raw fish and honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Don't miss that. He, they gave him a piece of fish and raw honeycomb. Jesus took the fish. He took the honeycomb. That's what the Bible says. And he ate it in their presence. They watched him eat it. From his first bite to his last swallow, and every delicious mouth-watering smack in between, Jesus sealed the deal on his bodily resurrection from the dead. Thus he moved his first century followers, and he continues moving 21st century followers. That's you and me. He, he moved them and he moves us from fear to faith, from hopelessness to hopefulness, from dreams deferred to dreams delivered, from guilt to grace, from misery to mercy, from sin to salvation. So we see first Jesus moving his followers from celebration to realization. Second, Jesus moves his followers beyond the point of scripture retention to the place of scripture comprehension. Jesus moves his followers beyond the point of scripture retention to the place 
of scripture comprehension. Mind you now, just earlier, they, they were celebrating, they, they were celebrating, they were uh, enjoying uh, the resurrection event, but they needed to move beyond that celebration to realization. And so now Jesus is trying to, seeking to move them from the port of scripture retention to the place of scripture comprehension. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the psalm concerning me. In the Hebrew tradition, children were taught, beginning at an early age, to read, to repeat, and to retain the Hebrew scriptures. Those of you who have been reading your one-year Bible, you've read now the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, where Moses instructed the people to keep the word in their hearts and to diligently teach it to their children and their grandchildren. They would teach it over and over and over again until they could retain it, until they memorized it. They were to write the word on the doorposts and gates of their homes. The sad reality, however, is that for generations, many people went through the motions of scripture retention, but missed the method of scripture comprehension. This missing of scripture comprehension, missing what the scripture really said, missing this understanding of scripture, reached its climatic point at Calvary. It was at Calvary where the chief priests, the rabbis, and the Pharisees who missed it, and the Sadducees who missed it, and the scribes who missed it, and the religious Leaders missed it. It was there at Calvary that these leaders had Jesus crucified. It was at Calvary where they watched him hanging and suffering and bleeding. It was at Calvary where they witnessed him die in agony as they cast light for his clothes and act as though they were at an evening entertainment event. It was at Calvary where even his closest followers fail to comprehend the message of scripture. They, they just didn't get the message of scripture. It was at Calvary where they failed to comprehend the message of scripture and left the foot of the cross in horror, feeling hopeless, helpless, and hurting. So it was in verse 45, Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the meaning of the scriptures. What scriptures? The same scriptures he had made known to Cleopas and the other disciples on the Emmaus road. The same scriptures. The, the same scriptures he had preached and taught for three years as he groomed his followers for leadership. Notice in verses 46 to 48, as Jesus shares the content of the scriptures one last time before his ascension into heaven. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of, of sins, that is, turning away from sin, and that is, uh, the forgiveness of sin, should be preached 
in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This time, because their eyes were open, they got it. They have now moved from just scripture retention to scripture comprehension. I'm very thankful that the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church family is one in which we not only read the word and understand the word, we not only put emphasis on reading through our one-year Bibles, but we meet in groups for understanding. Um, we're discussing it for understanding. We're, we're doing further research for understanding. I'm very thankful that that the good old Mr. Baptist Church family is, is one in which we not only read the word and understand the word, we also take seriously our responsibility to spread the word of God locally and globally. Why? Because people of the world, people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, are helpless, they are hopeless, they are a hurting bunch. Don't, don't let them fool you. Don't let the fancy titles fool you. Don't let the big houses they live in fool you. Don't allow the, the, the beautiful cars they drive to fool you. Don't, don't let the vacations they take fool you. Don't let the smiles on their faces fool you. Without Jesus, they are helpless. They are hopeless. They are a hurting Bunch, and they are looking for love, they're looking for joy, they're looking for peace in all the wrong places. It's the responsibility of those of us who have moved from retention to comprehension. You've moved from just really reading the word and memorizing the word to comprehending the word to understanding the word. Uh, the word has become a part of your, your flesh. You are, you are living the word every day. It's the responsibility of those who have moved from retention to comprehension to share the good news. To share the life-giving news, the life-changing news of Jesus Christ to a hurting, lonely, and dying world. Third, Jesus moves his followers from pondering to power. He moves them from pondering to power. The followers of Jesus have been given by him the monumental tasks of preaching, of teaching, and of reaching the world in which they live with the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. That was their Task. That was their duty. That was their assignment. The world in which they live was not much different from our world in that it was full of all kinds of sin, all types of wickedness, and every type of evil. There were people in that world, in their world, who hated Jesus, who hated the name of Christ, who 
who despised anybody who spoke his name or, or sought to live for him. That was their world similar to our world. Nevertheless, this small band of believers in Jesus Christ were willing and ready to serve. Jesus had brought them. Jesus had taught them. Jesus had groomed them. Uh, Jesus had modeled before them. And now here they are, so to speak, standing on the stage. It's graduation day. They're about to receive uh, they're about to receive uh, their degrees, their diplomas. They're about to turn the tassels. But there was one more piece to the puzzle. The last thought on their minds must have been, how in the world are we going to do it? How are we going to manage? Where will we get power to preach, to teach, and to live this holy word? Jesus, we got it. We've moved from the celebration to the realization. We, we know who you are. You have risen from the grave we move from retention to the realization we, we know what's facing us and, and the task that's ahead, but how are we going to manage? Must have been a thought on their mind. We're willing, we're ready, but we're mere fishermen and we're um, tax collector, a tax collector, and um, we, we have families and and we've come from homes, we, we do housework, we, we do that, the, the daily things. How in the world are we going to manage? We have willing hearts, we have willing hands. You've taught us well, but how are we going to manage? Where will we get the power to preach and, and to teach and to live this holy word and to live this holy life? You've commanded us to live. Even more, Jesus must have been on their mind. Where would we get the power to stand against the principalities? To stand against powers and to stand against spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, Chaos and, and, the, and the Pharisees and, and the scribes were religious leaders, but they were wicked. Oh yes, you had some who were good, but you had plenty who were in key positions who were wicked. Pilate and, and the Roman officials and, and, and the emperor were, were all wicked. They were, they were self-centered. They, they, they had no place in their lives for, for, for God. They, they wanted to promote Rome and they, and they wanted Rome to stand. And they, they, wanted to, they wanted Rome to be great, but they had no place in their minds, in their hearts. Uh, for Christ or uh, Christians or this kindness and this peace and this love that this strange Galilean teacher had taught. So the disciples had to be wondering, Jesus, look at what we're up against. Look at who we're facing, where we would get the power. Where we get power to speak up and speak out against corrupt people and corrupt systems. 
Where will we get power to tear down walls and build bridges? Where will we get power to make a bold witness for Jesus? Well, I'm so glad Jesus gave the answer to this game-changing question. Look at verse 49. Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, that word means to wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, till you are engulfed, till you are infused, till you are filled with power from on high. Jesus answered the power question. 2,000 years ago, he said, my father will send Holy Spirit power to guide you, to comfort you, and to keep you. Jesus looked down the corridor of time and he knew what his disciples faced. He knew what we would face. So he said, I'm sending you power. Father, sending you power to, to guide you, to comfort you, and to keep you. So it is even today amid a national pandemic, God has sent us his power. So those who are in Christ, the power of God need not worry. You need not fret, you need not fear, need not sit around painfully pondering what today or tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring because we have Holy Ghost power. Power from on high to help us go through anything that comes our way. We have power. I love how this unknown hymn writer states the matter. They wrote, I've seen, I've seen the lightning flash and I've heard the thunder roll. I've seen sin dashing, sin's breakers dashing. Trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior. He bids me still fight on. For he promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. And so here we are, good hope. And my brothers and sisters across the nation and around the world. Here we are, still moving along in the process. God wanted me to tell us today that we have power to overcome anything that comes our way. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't have the power from on high. You live in a defeated life. You're worrying about tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring. We invite you to come to Christ just as you are. You may pray a prayer, prayer similar to this or in your own words, just pray, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus in my life. I repent of my sins and I'm accepting you today. Come into my life and save me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Amen.